I'm going to read down through verse 30. And this passage is very, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's very, in a, in a sense, there's a darkness to it. Um, there's a sadness to it. But there's also great comfort in reading some of the things that are said in the passage. And I hope that you will see both sides and understand the application of them. Um, so let's stand if you're able. John chapter 13, beginning in verse number 18, reading down to verse 30. And the title of the message today is Judas Makes His Move. John 13, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus speaks. I do not speak of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly I say to you, he who receives whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, leaning on Jesus' bosom. Therefore Simon Peter beckoned to him, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. Then, lying on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spoke this to him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things that we have need of in preparation for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the opportunity to see how things unfolded for you, to see who this Judas was, this betrayer, but Lord, also to see the heart and the mindset that you had toward this one. You endured so much to pay for our sin, and we praise you for this. We lift you up as the one true God and as the perfect man and the one that lived a life that um, we will never experience until eternity, and and so we praise you today. Glorify yourself through the passage and through our church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. I want to tell you a story of a man from years ago named Ben. Ben was a person who was born in this part of the world. But at that time, there was no United States yet. The United States had not yet been formed and Ben lived in this part of the world, and as the revolution kind of took up steam, people began to take sides, and this one 
started off pretty low, but he joined up with the revolutionaries and with the colonials and uh, the ones revolting against King George. And he began to serve, and he very quickly moved up the ranks. He was a person of courage, a person of uh, wisdom, and he eventually became a general in the Continental Army. And his, in, his quick success um, kind of set him up with a little bit of fame and a little bit of a reputation. But over time, other people began to be promoted past him that were younger and, in his eyes, a little less qualified. And he also had married a wife that had a love for money, and she was spending, and he was quite indebted because of her spending, and I think historically also proves he did his own spending, and so you have two people spending, right? And uh, so there was indebtedness, and what developed was that this Ben, he eventually began to start having doubts about things, about his situation. He was upset at being passed over. He was frustrated with his financial situation, and his wife was friends with some British folk. And it appears, historically, that all along, her heart was not with the revolutionaries, but it was with King George and the Redcoats. And Ben began to make plans to switch sides. But he was not just going to switch sides in the middle of the night with a quick run to the other team. No, he was going to switch sides in the most powerful and upfront and shocker type of ways imaginable. He was going to set up a battle, and he was going to hand over his entire fort to the enemy. And so he laid his plans in place. He reached out through spies, and so he was concocting this scheme where the redcoats would come against his fort, and he would give them the fort, and they would take the fort, and they would lose all their men. The revolutionaries would lose all their men. But wouldn't you know it, his plan was found out. His plan was found out, and so instead of him enacting the plan as he imagined, he did run in the night, and he had to flee for his life, and he ran over to the Redcoats. His name, as you might have figured out by now, is Benedict Arnold. And Benedict Arnold is a famous name in our country for a traitor. He did later go on to actually lead Redcoats into battle against the colonials. And, of course, eventually the revolutionaries won. He went back to England and uh, was not respected there, wasn't respected here. He kind of died a lonely and frustrated old man. The thing that is interesting to me is that Benedict Arnold had planned to do this in the, in the public and in the shock and awe, and yet he ended up having to, to flee in the night because his plan was found out. I want to ask you a quick question. Judas made plans to betray Jesus, right? If we know the story, he went to the chief priests, he talked with them, and by the time we get to John 13, his plan is already set up with them. He's sitting there at the table with Jesus with the plan all in place. But the question I want to ask us is this, what if people had found out about the plan? What if people knew what Judas was going to do? Oh, how things would be different, right? Well, wait a minute. As we read the text, there was someone who knew what Judas was going to do, and his name is Jesus. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. And that fact, I think, needs to underpin our whole reading of this passage. And it's clear from the passage itself that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. And um, 
even today, we, we understand. A, a quick word about Judas himself, and we'll get into the passage and the text here. But Judas, the name Judas hasn't been used for children for hundreds and probably thousands of years because of what took place in this passage. No good Jesus-loving Christian would name their child Judas, right? And that's why we don't hear of people being named Judas. And in other countries, um, I don't believe Benedict was a, a strong name right after all of Benedict Arnold's things. And other nations have their people. The French people have Pitan, and he collaborated with the Germans, and the Norwegians have their Quisling. And the word Quisling has the same idea of a Benedict Arnold because of a guy named Quisling who worked with the Germans. And so other cultures and other countries have this same scenario. But in the passage today, we find that Judas was a common name. In fact, there was two disciples named Judas. And Judas himself was from the southern region of Judea. All the other disciples were from the north, up in the Galilee region. And Judas himself was, was so uh, trusted and so uh, respected that he was given the purse. He was given the bag of funds, and they trusted him with the money. Jesus put him in that position, but the other disciples uh, never imagined that Judas would do what he did. Another point about Judas that lines up with the Benedict Arnold story is that Judas, I believe, could see that the tide was turning against Jesus. He could see that these chief priests were gunning for him, and the original kingdom plans that some of the disciples had in mind were not coming to fruition. And furthermore, he had a covetous spirit for money. He wanted money deeply. And uh, there's a sense in which everyone wants money, right? But a person who's coveting and has a love of money is going to do things that are wrong in order to get money. In other words, their love of money is above their love of principle. And Judas was precisely this type of person. His love of money and his lust for power, I believe, drove him and pushed him and led him to this point. And then Satan took it from there, as we'll read. Let's look at verse 18 as we get rolling today. In verse 18, we find the betrayer prophesied. The betrayer prophesied. The, the Bible reads like this. I do not speak of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus says here, I know whom I have chosen. Jesus earlier had chosen these 12, and the Bible says he chose them to be with him, and he chose them to send them out to preach. And Jesus here is trying to be clear in that he did not, quote, make a mistake by choosing Judas to be an apostle. The choosing here is not to salvation, obviously, because Judas was not saved. He never was saved. But it's to the apostle position, to the position of disciple, uh, of the 12 disciples, that is, or the apostles. And in John 6, Jesus made this very clear. John 6, verse 70, Have I not chosen you 12, specifically the 12, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. For it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And in that passage earlier, he tells them that they do not all believe. Judas did not believe. He never did believe in Christ as his Savior. And at this point, Jesus is being clear. I know whom I have chosen. In other words, I know the twelve I chose. I did not make a mistake. These, uh, these eleven are saved. This one is not. But he goes on to say, the scripture will be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. This eating of bread, is this phrase, I should say, is a quotation from Psalm 12, 9. And this eating of bread is a picture that goes a little deeper than what we think. Um, you know, we sometimes will meet someone for a lunch 
or a meal, and, and we don't necessarily know them or have some deep connection with them, but the phrase of he who ate bread with me, it's a picture of deep uh, fellowship, of deep openness, and of, of friendship, and of trust. And, you know, especially a feast like Passover, you, you didn't eat Passover with strangers, all right? Normally it was with the most beloved people in your life. It was with the, the closest people to you. And Jesus says, this one who has eaten bread with me, he's lifted up his heel against me. If I could just remind us of something, the heel that Judas lifted up against Jesus was really clean because Jesus had just washed it. Jesus had just cleansed it and, and taken time to lovingly wash that foot of Judas and this heel that he is now lifting up to kick or to kick at or to kick out, if you will, towards Christ is a heel that Jesus had just washed. In verse 19, as we continue here, we learn more about this betrayer. We see the betrayer predicted. And I know the prophesying is kind of the same idea, but the prophesying is from the Old Testament, the quotation from Psalm 12:9. In verse 19, we see Jesus saying, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it has come to pass, you may believe that I am He. Jesus wants this to be clear. When this happens, when he betrays me, I want you to know something. This is not an accident. This is not a mistake. This is not a miscalculation. I've told you beforehand that this was going to happen, and it happens. You know, I think this is an important point, and John makes it very clear in the book. If Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus has all power, then why on earth would he not stop a guy like Judas? You know, I mean, let's face it, when Benedict Arnold's plans came to fruition, people stepped in to save lives and to change the situation and, and to avert this whole scenario that he had concocted. And if Jesus is the Son of God and if Jesus knows all things, then why would he let Judas go on with his evil deed? Well, it's because Jesus was choosing the cross. Jesus was going to go to the cross. And in fact, we're going to see this time and again in these next passages that Jesus going to the cross was no accident. It was not a miscalculation. It was the plan of God. And Jesus again and again makes decisions that lead him closer and closer to the cross. And it's, it's beautiful to see and it's very important to see that the cross was not an accident. It was very purposeful. And Jesus here says, when you, when you remember later that I told you about it now, you're going to know. Your, your faith will grow when you will believe that I am he. You know, if you think about it, this fact, if Jesus didn't know, or if he did know and not do anything about it, it could make someone kind of doubt, right? But why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, how? It's as though he, he was weak, right? And he, and he missed it, and he, he just didn't see what Judas was doing. Jesus says, that is not the case. I am telling you now, when he goes in a moment, he's going to say, one of you sitting right here at this table is going to betray me. Verse 20. There's a little bit of a, it's not a side note, but it's, it's a further application before he gets back to the main point. In verse 20, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whoever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So in verse 20, we have the betrayer, I call it, um, his, the betrayer's partnership omitted. We might just use the word excluded. Because Jesus talks about receiving those who he sends. Well, who is it that he sends? He sent out the 12 apostles. And, you know, a question for us is, have we received, have, have you and I received the ones that Jesus sent? 
well, they're dead and gone, so we can't receive them personally. But how is it that someone today receives the apostles? We receive them through their writings. And the apostles have left us. One of them is writing this book right here. The apostle John wrote this record. And if we look through the record of John and we say, ah, that's not, that's not how it happened. And that's not who Jesus is. And John's just making this stuff up. and He doesn't know what he's talking about. If that's our approach to the gospel of John, guess who we're rejecting? We're rejecting Jesus because Jesus sent them out. Jesus is going to tell them in just a minute, my spirit will be given to you and you will write all the things that you ought to write. And the spirit will give you remembrance and you will utter things just as God wants you to say them. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But he's telling them, you're going to speak on my behalf. And the scripture is God's record of Jesus Christ. And so he says, he who receives whoever I send receives me. In other words, you apostles, you will be sent out. This is an important point for what's going to follow with Peter. Remember when Peter quits and goes fishing? Peter says, oh, I don't want to, I'm not going to serve Jesus anymore, and I've already failed him too greatly. But Jesus here, before, Jesus, before this whole thing unfolds, he says, he who receives whoever I send receives me. So Jesus had already planned to send out the apostles. He had put that plan in action, and he makes it clear here that Judas is not included in this list. Judas is excluded um, because... If you receive the ones that are sent of him, you receive Christ. And Judas clearly rejects Christ. Verse 21. It goes on here in verse 21. And here we see the betrayer's pain. This is an important one for, I think, our application and our understanding both. Verse 21 says, When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you shall betray me. Jesus tells the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. I think those disciples were shocked. I think they were heartbroken. What do you mean? One of us is going to betray you? One of us? How, how could it be that one of us would betray the Lord Jesus? Jesus tells them. But notice what it says before he tells them. It says he was troubled in spirit. A lot of times when we think of God in the present tense, God in heaven, we don't think of him as troubled. Right? We don't generally think of God that way. Although I think there's a strong case to be made that God is disturbed by our sin. We understand that. But we don't think of God as being troubled. But when the Lord Jesus was on earth, this is the description of him. He was troubled in spirit. Question for you. Have you ever been Troubled in spirit. I can raise my hand and I can say, yes, I have been troubled in spirit. The good news for us is that Jesus Christ, our Savior, was also troubled in spirit. And you know, sometimes we're troubled in spirit by the things we think might happen, right? Anxiety, right? What about, what, what's tomorrow? Oh boy, I think this is going to turn out badly, right? We're troubled about what we think might happen. But Jesus is troubled about what he knows will happen. He knew that Judas would betray him. And it says he was troubled in spirit. And this troubling in spirit is very beautiful to me because it means that when I pray to the Lord Jesus, I'm praying to someone that knows what it feels like to be troubled. And sometimes we're troubled about many things. But specifically in the passage, Jesus is troubled about what? Now you could maybe make a case that he's troubled about his death. But I think in context, he's talking about Judas. 
He's just about to say, one of you is going to betray me. And he was troubled by that. He was hurt by that. The Lord Jesus, who had invested in love so much in Judas. Let's remember, let's just take a moment and review the tape with Judas. Judas was chosen out of all those masses of people to spend extra time with Jesus, to be close to Him, to to go wherever He went. And Judas sat and listened to the same parables, and he saw the same miracles that all the other disciples heard and saw. Not only that, but Jesus gave power to Judas. The, The disciples were sent out two by two. And when they went out, they preached about Jesus. And they did miracles. And and they did miracles in His name and and people were healed. And Judas went out and he preached of Jesus and he did miracles just like the rest. You know, there's no hint. In fact, there's clear Bible evidence that the disciples had no clue this was Judas. They had no idea. Judas did what the others did. He had the powers the other had power to do. Which is a quick side note here. Just because someone does a miracle does not mean they are of God. Judas is an example of that. There's other examples in the Bible. Pharaoh, when, when, when Moses' rod was thrown down before Pharaoh, remember it says that his magicians threw down their rods and they turned into snakes, right? And in Revelation it talks about satanic miracles. And so, quick side note, just because a miracle is done does not mean it's from God. So Judas, what, what had he had? He had had every privilege. He had had the same opportunities as those other twelve, generally speaking. And he had the power to do these miracles. And he preached of the Lord Jesus And yet there's coming a moment where His true colors are going to be seen. And the Bible says that Jesus is troubled in spirit. This hurts Jesus in His heart. And so many times we're quick to kind of dismiss this point because we say, oh, well, He was the Son of God, so He can handle it. But I just remind us that He had a heart. And His heart hurt when this happened to Him. When Judas did this to Him, it hurt Him personally. And it hurt Him in His soul. And He was troubled in His spirit. And there's two applications that we have as we think of this point. The first application is Jesus is still troubled today by those who pretend and act as if they know Him when they do not. When people mask sin in their heart and they don't know the Lord Jesus and they would take advantage of Jesus or His church or His people and Jesus is grieved by those who pretend to have faith in Christ but but they do not. They just... They, they just have an external shell of appearance. Jesus is troubled by this. And you know, the, the simple truth is this. I, as pastor, I don't always know people's... I, I shouldn't say I don't always. I don't often or ever know what's going on in people's hearts. I don't know what's going on in people's minds. But the Lord Jesus does. And Jesus can see right into the heart and the mind. And Jesus today is still disturbed by those who would pretend that they know Christ when in their heart they do not. You know, it's one thing to just be ignorant, right? And, and many people are this way. They don't, they've never heard the, the plan of salvation. They don't understand what faith in Christ means for them personally. It's one thing to be ignorant. But it's another thing to calculatingly and coldly pretend and manipulate and use others all with a heart of darkness and coldness. And Judas is, is on this level of, of scheming and of deviousness But the second thing that I want to make an application of this point is just this. Jesus knows the feeling of betrayal. Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed, to be rejected, to, yea, we could even say to be abused. Jesus knows this feeling. 
I mean, we're also going to read in a bit about Peter denying him. And Peter did that out of a much more sincere place. But yeah, in his moment of weakness, he still denied the Lord. But Peter and Judas are in different categories, aren't they? Because Peter's a true believer and Judas is not. Peter intended to do right and he failed in the moment of trial. But Judas never intended to do right. His, his plan was not to, to, to help the Lord Jesus. It was but to assert himself. And as we think about both of these, the, the Peter and the Judas, Jesus knew of them. And Jesus experienced the pain of the denial and the betrayal both. And it hurt him in his soul. I, you know, we, we all have friends. We have um, people in our lives. But I don't know if we can fully enter into this relationship that Jesus had with his 12 disciples. You know, this was a deep and a close relationship. And Jesus entrusted them with so much. And in this moment here at this Last Supper, he's spending this final night with these people that he loved. And here at the table, he says, I've got to tell you, one of you here shall betray me. As we look next at verse 22, I just see here the betrayer's pretense. Verse 22 says, Then the disciples looked at one another, doubting of whom he spoke. Now, there was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, leaning on Jesus' bosom. So we'll get into this in just a moment. But the fact is they looked around and they all wondered who it was. Now, there was one, there was two who didn't wonder. Jesus knew so Jesus wasn't wondering. And Judas knew because Judas had already made his plans with the chief priest. So there was no doubt in Judas' mind who this was. But I want to point out, it says the disciples looked at one another, doubting of whom he spoke. In other words, Judas put on the appearance when, when the others started looking around going, Judas, what? Who? Like he had to fake it, you know, fake it because he wanted to act like everyone else and, and he had to put on like he didn't know who this was and my goodness, who could this be? But we do see later that, um, let's see here, I, I guess it's in a parallel passage where, where it specifically says that the, the disciples say, is it I? Is it I, Lord? Right? Is it me? Um, I wonder if Judas even went so far as to ask that question. We don't know for sure, but, but we do know that there's this shock and this wonder and amazement of who this could be. Now, it gets a little more specific, okay? One of his disciples whom Jesus loved, leaning on Jesus' bosom. All right, to us in America and in our 2023 mind, this sounds very, very strange, okay? The word bosom refers to the chest area. And we would say, my goodness, why, why on earth would somebody be lying on Jesus' chest? That just sounds very strange, very different from our culture. We have to remember a couple things. These men are at this meal, this feasting meal. They're reclining on couches. And so you have a large, probably an oblong or rectangular table. And these various couches um, are coming off of this um, large table. And they're each laying on their side while they're eating. Okay, We don't usually lay on our sides while we eat. Um, but the normal pattern was to use the left hand to kind of prop yourself up or hold your head, however you were doing it, maybe your hand. But then with your right hand, you would eat the food. Well, if you think of laying on your side, you have 13 men around a table all laying on their sides, right? And they're propped up with their left hand or left arm. That sets them up to all have their backs facing the same direction, right? And so they're all facing the same direction. Well, the picture here of what's happening is that John, who 
had been laying like this with his left hand propped it up and was eating like this, that he would have actually laid down and rolled like this and Christ would have been right there. And that's the picture of what it's talking about when it uses that phrase. So, so in the passage it says, now there was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved leaning on Jesus' bosom. We understand this to be the Apostle John because he uses this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. A great little line, right? He doesn't use his name, but he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Very unique because Jesus loved all of his disciples, right? I don't think John, Jesus would say, I love John the most, right? I love him more than you. No, but John said, he loved me, right? And there's again that emphasis on the love of Christ for us. And um, when, when I say Jesus loves me, I'm not saying he doesn't love you because he does. But I'm just saying in my own heart, Jesus loves me. And that makes a, a huge difference in my life. But um, so he says the disciple whom Jesus loved was, was laying there. And then verse 24 says, Therefore Simon Peter beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. Okay, so if we're kind of putting this picture together, John is on this side of Jesus. So if I, I'll, I'll do it this way so you can kind of see. We have John laying here, facing that way. Jesus laying next, facing that way. And then we understand Judas to be right next to Jesus on the left side. And uh, the implication there is that's the place of honor, and it's also how Jesus could hand him the piece of bread without anyone else noticing. Peter is very likely across the table from Jesus, or more likely from John specifically. And, and so Peter beckons to John, and he says, hey, ask him who it is. Ask him who it is. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience. If, you're, if you were raised in a family with multiple kids, um, I know I have had this experience because I was number three of four, but, um, you know, sometimes kids do this with their parents, right? If they have a mom and dad and, and there's a number of kids, what they'll do is they'll select the kid that is most in favor at the moment, right? And they'll say, hey, hey, we want to go to the store to buy some candy, uh, but I just got in trouble like seven minutes ago, so why don't you go ask? And then they'll plot about which parent is more likely to say yes, right? And so, um, you know, daddy never lets us have any fun. Let's ask mom or vice versa, whatever. And so they set the kid up and they send him in with the message, hey, we want to go do this, right? Well, I don't know why Peter selected John to do this, but Peter had just kind of stuck his foot in his mouth quite recently about the whole washing of feet thing. And uh, John seems to be very much in Jesus' good graces as he's laying there feasting. And so Peter reaches out and says, hey, ask him, who is it? And Jesus answered, verse 26, and we, we move on here to the betrayer pointed out. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Jesus doesn't name the person. Jesus says, it's the person to whom I give this piece of bread. And I imagine, again, I'm trying to piece all this together, but there never was any recognition of Judas until it was done in the garden. When, Jesus, when Judas came and kissed Jesus, I think that's when the disciples knew who it was. But at this moment, they, don't, they still don't know who it is. And I think there was a little bit of a break or a pause or some distraction and other conversation, and Jesus takes the bread, dips it in the dish, and gives it to Judas. So he gave his indication, but no one recognized it. No one watched it or saw it go down. And notice what it says, very sadly, at the end of verse 26. I'm sorry, verse 27. And after the piece of bread, Satan 
entered into him. You know, this moment was, I believe, the last moment where Judas could have, in theory, repented. And I say in theory because simply this. God knew ahead of time what he would do. So it was foreknown. It was not chosen that he would do this by God. But God knew what he would do, and he put the circumstances together. But once this bread is given to Judas, do you realize what happens? At this moment, Judas knows that Jesus knows that he's the guy. Jesus knows who Judas is. Judas knows that Jesus knows. And he takes this bread from him. And the Bible says in that moment, Satan enters into his heart. It says entered into him. And so Judas is now not a demon-possessed man. He is a Satan-possessed man. If you want to talk about the worst place to be in all of human history is to be possessed by Satan himself. And that's where Judas finds himself. How did he get here? He got to this place through a series of choices. He got to this place where his sin went unchecked and unstopped. And and his sin grew and grew. And now Satan has entered his heart. There is no turning back at this point. Satan takes over him. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, of that prophecy in Revelation. Do you remember where it says, I think it's in Revelation 12, where where it talks about Israel brings forth a child and Satan is there trying to kill the child and the child that that Israel brings forth is the Lord Jesus. And it talks about Satan trying to kill the child. Well, we often apply that to to the the Bethlehem story where where Herod comes and kills the babies, right? Which is very true. Satan tried to kill Jesus then. But here in this moment, Satan is now plotting again. I'm going to kill Christ. I'm going to take out this Messiah, this Redeemer, right? And he is using Judas as his tool at this point. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Jesus has a very different approach to Judas at this point. In other words, whatever you're going to do, just go ahead and do it. Um, Before, with the washing of feet, even with the handing of the piece of bread, that was a picture of honor. It was a picture of love and respect. But now he just says, whatever you're going to do, just do it. Do it right away. Nobody around understands. But, but Jesus basically said, just do what you're going to do. Jesus gave him his way. One of the saddest and scariest places to be is when God just steps back and says, all right, just do your own thing. Just go your own way. I won't stop you. That's a very bad place to be. And sometimes we, we can get there in, in a, a lesser way than Judas. Judas was doing it to you know, his eternal destruction. But sometimes we can do it in paths of life where, where we just insist on having our own plan, our own way. And God says, nope, nope, you, you shouldn't do that. Nope, no. Nope. And he kind of resists, he resists. And then sometimes God just says, all right, just do what you're going to do. In these final verses, we see the betrayer parts ways. The betrayer parts ways, verse 28 to 30. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things that we have need of in preparation for the feast. So what the disciples are assuming here, and John, John is able to record this because he was a disciple and he talked with the disciples. And later, I think they discussed this. What were you thinking? You know, he was right there and Jesus said this. And what, what were you thinking? And Andrew or Philip or one of them says, man, I thought, I thought he was going out there to buy stuff for the feast. Well, what this shows is that this thing that they're observing was at least before the 
the tr official day of Passover, and there would be markets open. And this, remember what time of day it is, it's nighttime. And normally the markets wouldn't be open at night, right? But because of the Passover week, and depending on which night of the week it was and all the details of their feasting, there were times that the markets were open and there were people selling things in the nighttime. And some of the disciples said later, man, we just thought he was telling them to go out and buy stuff for the feast. And then others said, well, I thought, I thought he was going out to give something to the poor. Again, a strange time to go give uh, poor people money in the nighttime, right? However, the temple was opened on at least one, if not several nights of this Passover feast. And when the temple was opened, poor people would gather at the entrance and they would ask alms of the people going in. And guess what? Passover feast time is a good time to get alms when you're someone that's begging, all right? So the poor would have been there. And some of the people, some of the disciples just thought, oh, he's going to give something to the poor. But verse 30 says this, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. I wonder what he did with the bread. Did he eat it? Did he cast it aside? Did he hide it in his garment? Remember, Jesus had said, the one to whom I give this bread, he's the one that's going to betray me. I wonder what he did with that piece of bread. I bet if he ate it, it made him sick. But that last phrase is just a little poetic. It's just a little haunting, isn't it? Because what does it say? And it was night. And it was night. We almost have a contrast between the story of Nicodemus and the story of Judas in the Gospel of John. Judas met Jesus in John chapter 3 at night. Do you remember? At night is when Jesus met Nicodemus. And he asked questions. And what we see throughout the Gospel of John is that Nicodemus moves from darkness to light. He moves from a place of, of ignorance and of lack of knowledge of Jesus and he comes to a point of faith. And he comes to saving faith in Christ. Judas, on the other hand, almost comes from a place of light to a place of darkness. He walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He heard so much truth. So much opportunity to come to faith. And yet, here we see Judas move away from the light. And the Bible says it was night. Out he goes into the darkness. A darkness that would only increase and compound around him. A darkness of covetousness. A darkness of deceit. A night of sorrow and eventual suicide. And after that, he would be cast into eternal outer darkness never to be recovered from. Even this day, this day right here where we sit in church, Judas sits in the darkness of hell. He's still there today. Judas went out. He went away. He left Jesus, never to be with him again. He is a sad and a sober rebuke for any who would pretend to know Christ and would act as if they know Christ and, and would pretend. If there's any here, anyone online who's listening and you don't know Christ, if you're just kind of acting to fit in and, and play the part and sort of do some religion and you don't really know Christ as your own personal Savior, then this message is for you. I also want to remind us for the believers, that we serve a Christ who has felt our sorrows. If you've been betrayed, if you've been harmed or abused, 
If you've been neglected and abandoned, the Lord Jesus has felt your sorrow. See, Judas left first, but in a little bit, all the disciples are going to leave him and he'll be alone. Alone with the soldiers. None of his disciples stayed with him the entire time. Jesus knows our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief, the Bible says. And he is our high priest. He's the one that we turn to with our pains, with our sufferings, with the difficulties of our life. And I'm thankful the Bible says that his spirit was troubled. If his spirit was troubled, then he knows the trouble of our spirit. If he bore his burdens, then he, the Son of God, can bear our burdens too. This is our Savior. This is the one who walks with us through our grief. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. As we pray, if you're here and you say, Pastor John, I don't know Christ. I don't know that I'm forgiven. We want to help you know Christ. If you're here and you say, Pastor John, I, I know the Lord Jesus, but I'm, I'm struggling in some difficulty and some sorrow and and Maybe it's a personal betrayal. Maybe it's just a rejection or a neglect. But I'm, I'm feeling that suffering and I, I want to draw strength from Christ today. And you pointed out that he was troubled and that I can trust him with my troubles too. I don't know your specific situation, your specific need, but I just want to say that if you need to talk with someone, we're here for salvation, for ongoing grace and strength in troubles. Um, ultimately, Jesus is our hope and our answer. Look to him in this moment. Lord, I thank you for the chance to read in this passage. It is a dark and a sober passage as we look at the betrayer, as we look at Judas. But I'm thankful that in the, the sadness and darkness of the story of Judas, we see a bright and shining light of Christ. Thank you for loving Judas. Thank you for enduring that suffering and that personal betrayal so that we could cast our cares and our sorrows upon you. Help us to do that, Lord. Casting all our care upon you, you care for us. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll do your work. Holy Spirit, draw those who are without Christ. Comfort those who need that comfort from sorrow who are in Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.